to Best Adapted Podcast, the podcast about film adaptations and the stories that inspired them. I'm your host, Frank. Uh, folks, they say that there is no life without wife, and I say that there's no pod without blondes, and here to bring that golden-haired goodness is the toe-headed Tom Selleck himself, Caleb Jerky. How you doing, Caleb? Uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm feeling okay, but uh, I, this is the first podcast we're recording since I went to my brother's wedding, the first wedding I've ever been to. And uh, What? Yeah, yeah, I've never been to a wedding before. Yeah. Um, I mean, I thought you were going to say it's your brother's first wedding. So that's <laughs> that's what me for a Who knows what the future holds between those two? Um, but uh, oh, gee, yeah, weren't you like the best man or something? Yeah, that's, yeah. I don't know if you could talk about that in a wedding. <laughs> I don't think you could hedge your bets like that about a wedding you were in. It's a doomed wedding. Yeah, I very much have weddings on the brain, which is good uh, for this podcast. But we have a special guest. He's an ex-journalist, a future attorney, and he's currently sleepy. It's uh, Ragu Agarwal, uh, up early on a Sunday morning, uh, like a mensch. Ragu, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'm excited about this. And uh, yeah, it's not that early, but it, it is early by my standards. Um, I'm not the kind of Indian who wakes up and does yoga at 7 in the morning. So yeah, <laughs> this is early. So Yeah. I wanted to ask, um, you and Caleb, your friends from college, you've known him longer than I have. Do you think he's going to make the cut on your wedding invitation? Uh, it depends on his behavior. He can be quite, un- he can be quite unpleasant <laughs> to be around. He is actually like Darcy from Bride and Prejudice. He's a little conceited. And, uh, you know, I, 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 if he can handle India and I'm yet to assess if he can, then he's more than welcome. <laughs> he, he, he is, he, actually, he would be the comic relief, I feel. You know, the guy, he would be Kohli, I feel, like from the movie. <laughs> so, so <laughs> uh, you know, just the bumbling fool. So, so yeah, I mean, he, he, of course he's invited. Yeah, I've been actually been trying to get him to come to India for a, for a while. Him and like a bunch of his friends. So, yeah, yeah. Cordially invited for my <laughs> first wedding, at least. As soon as he gets there, just just borrow his passport and rip it up so he can never come back to the States. I don't know if we want to keep him either, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, the problem is, is, is I don't currently have a, a passport. It is currently lying on the floor someplace in Heathrow Airport where I lost it uh, two and a half years ago. Wait, which airport? Did you say Heathrow? Yeah, in London. Oh, wow. How do you get back then? If yeah. it's in London, how did you come back to the U.S.? Well, I had to uh, uh, go to the consulate, and they were um, really rude to me. Um, <laughs> they were pretty condescending. I was like, hey, I lost my passport. I'm like, oh, man, you need one of those, don't you? I was like, yeah. <laughs> Can I have one? Uh, but yeah. My, yeah. My, so one of these days when I get a passport, I will uh, I'll come. I'll come visit. You must. You must. Even you, Frank, you should come. I mean, it's oh, worth visiting. You. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, it's on the list. God, I, I, I sound like Aishwarya Rai presenting the country to you. Oh, yeah. Must <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I sound about as convincing as her, but yeah, please. Yeah. But yeah, you're welcome to come. Yeah. I've got this right that she is one of like the just top tier Bollywood stars of like the last couple of decades, right? Yeah, of yesteryear. <laughs> no, no, of no, yesteryear, okay. definitely. No, no, but she is definitely top tier. Um, I mean, highly regarded, at least, uh, at least by the way, at least if you go by the way she looks, she's gorgeous. Uh, opinion on her acting is divided, but uh, I mean, there's no sort of, um, there's no doubt that she is a huge actress. She's a major, major actress, and uh, she's been around also for, for for a long time. 
um she's been um but but she has she 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 stopped acting i think a while back she has a family now um and she she has kids and all that so she hasn't acted for a while but you're right she is she is one of she is one of our major actresses yeah yeah so on on this su- subject of of bollywood i mean obviously it's this is the second biggest film industry in the world um uh, regularly we went to college together we went to like i feel like we went to a fair amount of movies uh yeah. together so you've like you obviously have have had a foot in like both the american and and the indian film industries uh yeah. how how would you say they compare i mean uh, which do you enjoy more what you know sort of um i don't know what 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 are your thoughts on 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 hollywood v bollywood so i think bollywood produces the most films ever like in a year yeah mm-hmm. um and i think that is actually a good metric to judge bollywood by because there is a lot a lot a lot of trash and uh, a lot of that trash is also mainstream so a lot of bl- uh, bollywood to my mind is uh, is is slapstick humor and it's over the top and um that that's what people go for it's it's an escape and a lot of it is also you know it's family centric it's very pg uh at least it was for a long time now now things are getting a little edgier but um for a long time the point i think of a bollywood film was to be escapist for the whole family to enjoy together and it would be imbued with family values as well okay of course this is very very general and i think this is more true of the 90s and early 2000s so um <clears throat> for a, and for a long time um i i really i don't think i was fond of bollywood and i did sort of look um down on it um j- just because of that i just thought that these are like populist movies they're not um inspi- they're not inspiring in any way um and i didn't enjoy it at all i mean as a kid uh, as a kid maybe enjoyed the slapstick bits but i just i mean i didn't take it seriously um and i think <clears throat> i mean hollywood is considered the gold standard a common critique of Bollywood films is that oh they're derivative they I mean you know the plots lifted directly from some major Hollywood movie or some action sequences are or the characters are so I think for a long time Hollywood was sort of you know the guy to copy and it, it Hollywood did set the standard so so if I if I personally this is again this is me if I compare the two of them Hollywood uh, felt for the longest time much more professional the i thought the writing was crisper the movies were shorter which i thought was like oh god that's that's such a relief i mean i really don't like sitting through 3 hour movies so <clears throat> if i so 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 that's how i felt that's how i felt before but now i think uh, uh, so streaming has become a huge thing here netflix is big amazon prime and we have a bunch of our own we have disney plus hotstar which is which is an indian thing i think now i think bollywood is is coming of age um finally like the scripts are so much deeper there's geopolitics there's intrigue there's there's political dramas they existed before but it was always black and white it was always like oh india versus pakistan or good versus bad and it was very clear cut but now but now things are definitely i think moving in the in in the right direction and another interesting point is that our uh, our, our censor board is very very strict um and um and i think as you saw in bride and prejudice the guys they don't even kiss at yes. in, in the end you know <laughs> they're just like fucking stand sorry they're just standing there 
and um, and you know that's the end of the movie, and you said everything is sort of implied. But the interesting thing is that uh, Netflix and all get sort of can circumvent the censor board. They can go around that because a lot of the movies originate outside of India, and now we're getting so as so we're getting an exposure to sort of more um, mm-hmm. explicit things. So that's also an interesting move. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, com- comparing Hollywood and Bollywood. Um, Bollywood, as you know, has those dance numbers, which have become a staple. Like, I, I mean, nine, I think the vast majority, 90 to 95% of Bollywood movies will have those dances out of seemingly out of, no, out of nowhere. And um, Hollywood doesn't have that. I, I did want to jump in and ask you quick about, because you were describing that the newer sort of generation of Bollywood movies is having kind of more nuanced and like maybe like not politically incorrect, but like, like, uh, but just that, like the form and tone of, of Bollywood seems to be changing. Are they still keeping that, that, that structure though, of like, these are still like three hour films with musical interjections in them. Yeah. So they are a little, they, they are shorter. They're more concise. There is less filler. I would say in the film, it's meatier now. And it's also, it, I don't think it aspires to be as uh, palatable to the whole family as, uh, traditional Bollywood did. I mean, these are very sort of very explicit. There's lots of cursing. There's, you know, like gut spewing violence. There is, uh, there's sex also, which is very new to us. There's, there's actually like nudity now, which was completely, I mean, I would never have thought that would be possible. But I think, I think to your point of that, like streaming has expanded what like Bollywood is doing and made it and be able to push out of that, like family pleasing mindset. I mean, I think that's what streaming is doing to just like world cinema everywhere it's certainly the case right. in the u.s you know like the the content and the and like the sort of the intended audiences are becoming like so atomized and a part of that's like frustrating that it's sort of weird that my my like myself and then like my partner who has a different account on netflix than me will just be getting recommended like entirely different stuff and like not know about the same kinds of movies or shows that are getting produced but it also is very exciting the week we're recording this is when um uh, like sort of this I, this kind of inventive sort of weird violent South Korean television show is like the hottest hit on Netflix right now and it's like it's very cool to see how in these these streamers and thinking that they're making a product that is only good for like a two percent of the market share are realizing that actually like eighty five percent of the market was looking for something like that and just hadn't had it offered to them yet that that is very true in fact uh, I think. Um... The most viewed show, and it was on, it was on the top ten of uh, Indian Netflix for a long time, was Money Heist, which is a Spanish, sure. originally a yeah. Spanish TV show, and people loved it. Like everyone was talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are right. Like I mean, de- definitely uh, things we would never have watched before. Even 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 though everything was available anyway, like you can go to any third party website, and piracy is very very common here. You could still ha- you could still watch it, but. The fact that it's kind of curated and presented so beautifully to people now um, definitely sort of widens and maybe at the same time also makes niches out of out of the audience. You said sort of the the Indian film industry is, is sort of getting edgier and that's partially because of sort of the influence of, of international films that are sort of finding a bigger audience in India. And I I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot, but in the last couple of years, I have also seen... Uh, Indian films break out in in American uh, cinemas like the Bahubali. I think is is the yeah Bahubali yeah a, a big hit in the United States like 
I think mostly just like through targeted ad campaigns. And I mean, it was did not like get a huge release. So I wonder if if like part of the reason sort of the Indian film industry, as you say, is, is getting is sort of breaking that sort of traditional family friendly mold. Do you think that is a an in, an intentional decision to try to break into to break out of India into foreign markets, or is it just sort of the inevitable response of just like international, you know, trade? Just just by virtue of films being more easily broadcast, I think of course everyone would want a piece of the pie, right? Like of the global pie. So, uh, so, so I think the way they are making their movies now is is to appeal not I mean to the diaspora definitely, but maybe to a wider Western audience as well. Having said that, this is not something new at all. Like uh, that, we uh, one of our most famous um, directors is this guy called Karan Johar, who is interesting just in his own right as as a person. He's like one of our biggest directors. He's also gay. Uh, and I don't, but I don't think he's ever openly claimed to be gay. But everyone knows he's gay, which itself is a huge deal. Anyway, he's been making movies like uh, one. I think the best example I could think of is uh, is um, well, one of them is called Kabi Alvedana Kena, which means never say goodbye. Um, the other one is called uh, It'll Come Back to Me. Basically, they're about they're, they're these huge blockbuster movies about Indians living in the U.S. Okay, or or somewhere in the mm-hmm. West. Um, but, uh, but uh, yeah, Kal Ho Na Ho, that was, that's a huge, huge movie. And so it's set in New York and it's this uh, more sort of a, a young Indian family. The girl is independent. The father has passed away. And then she meets other sort of Indian Americans in New York and she falls in love with one of them. Anyway, the point is, I think that the westward push has like started quite a long time back, but, but, but only these more sort of ambitious and um, pocketed directors could do it. I mean, the diaspora is a huge, huge, huge sort of, uh, uh, I mean, they, they have a lot of money. They like showing off their Indian culture, I believe. Like, I think they're very performative about that. I don't mean that in a mean way, but that, that market, people have, not, people have known about that market for a long time. And this has been happening for a long time. But I think now with streaming, because if you make something in Netflix India, I think very often it will end up in uh, Netflix USA as well. It's just, I think, easier. You don't have to have, you don't need to have that gargantuan um, budget to, to broadcast your movie in America. So I think that has helped. And I think that has influenced the way directors are making their movies. And by that, I mean that their audience is now maybe more, not just Indian, but Indian American, and also the occasional white guy, you know, like, I think that is how that is where it's going. So I think you're right about that. Uh, And of course, some of it is just, um, I mean, it is globalization, it's inevitable, it was, it was going to happen. It's a big industry, it was going to eventually go past um, our boundaries. So I I think that's just a bigger part of it. Like, um, so going back to what I said about films being more sort of family centric and all that in the 90s and early 2000s, I, I think that's less the case now. And you could you could again say that's because of globalization. You're kind of you're, the mess. The messaging isn't as specific to family values and talks about more things just so that it could 
appeal to more to to more people i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing in terms of just you know just just in terms of the art of bollywood films but but i think that's what's happening this is something that is also happening in in sort of big american studio films that are increasingly catered towards often chinese audiences i mean the marvel movies often get recut with like chinese actors i i think like iron man 2 was that but also i mean independence day 2 was recut to like more to more a lot even in like their just like american version will just have entire scenes that are like uh in chinese or something like the meg yes. the meg is one that has like kind of a fascinating case study and just like that was scene a by chinese scene. co-production right yeah and i think also the other one i know that kind of falls into this is skyscraper the dwayne johnson mm-hmm. one where it's like it is practically scene by scene you can tell that they're just like choosing which audience to cater to more and I and I truly think like the way you're meant to watch those movies, at least in the U.S., is like look at your iPad when there's a bunch of Chinese characters on screen. Look up from your phone when like The Rock is on screen, and I think truly just the inverse for for like the global audience, basically. I think this is a, a general sort of a general trend that just as film distribution becomes more international, just often because of of streaming sites, sort of those sort of the the distinctive qualities of of sort of national industries are become well but i i am curious if if they're becoming homogenized or if they are becoming more and more splintered and are just becoming uh a little bit messier but i mean we're we're early in this process i don't know i didn't want to make one comment about that mm-hmm. um about, about about streaming websites and all these uh, intermediaries so so our government isn't thrilled about the fact that we have access to such just an expanse of of movies i mean i don't think they're upset about the fact that a lot of them are western origin but they are concerned about the gratuitous violence and and the you know the sex scenes and all that that is it's just not it is not accepted here we're a long we're a long long way from from that you know and so they had there have been some bills passed by parliament there have been some social media acts and some some acts that uh, that that affect the streaming industry um, meaning that they will need to be passed by our certification board or they will there will be some government oversight about about what can be produced and made okay so i think that there is a push against sort of this um globalization of filmmaking that you were talking about and i don't think that's specific to india but it's certain it's certainly happening there there is there is blowback there have been some there have been some quite sweeping changes in 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 our definitely in our censorship board and all that um which a lot of artists and directors have uh, you know flagged as a complete uh, like just a fa- flagrant right um what what's the word i'm looking for just completely against their freedom of expression and and uh and an artistic license so that that is definitely happening i mean because i i don't know if this is true but at least from what i've watched of uh, netflix a lot a lot of uh, movies are political and i mean like geopolitical they they i mean at least i think bollywood is kind of taking that role not really as a spokesperson but their films are becoming more political so the government is not very thrilled about that i mean it i mean your image is very very important and sometimes if your own um, i mean if your own movie industry paints a paints an unflattering picture of india they're not going to like that so there is definitely a lot of pushback there i mean i think streaming has been liberating but now 
there will come a phase where there will be a narrowing, at least in some countries, because of government pushback. So that's going to be interesting. Are these are these censorship laws? Do you think they are coming more from? If I've got this right, the BJP is is Modi's party, and my understanding is it's a, like a more kind of Hindu nationalist party, and then the INC is like inherited from like the whole like basically Indian independence movement is like a much older party. And my understanding is that is kind of the Republican and Democrats of India, or at least it's the sort of two like the left and the right of it, or right and left, however arranged it. It's not it's not as clear cut. I think most parties, I mean, I think both the parties are more center here. BJP, of course, is a lot more right um, than Congress. I mean, it is BJP is in power right now. Um, so it is, it is, it is, it is, uh, I think it was a private member. It wasn't a private member bill, but it was, it was uh, started by an MP who is from BJP. Um, and BJP gets a lot of things wrong and we can talk about that like ad nauseum, but, uh, but honestly, my, my, this is my, my gut feeling is that Congress would have also passed some sort of law to not stifle, but, but to put kind of a, to sen- they would also have censored um, Netflix and streaming platforms here. May- maybe not in the same way, not using the same language, but I think in effect doing the same thing. Uh, so we're here today to talk about Bride and Prejudice, which is an adaptation of Jane Austen's novel Pride and Prejudice. Um, I, I did want to, so I, I read it for this episode. I read it, I think, in college um, on a break, and it was kind of my opening to Jane Austen. How about either of you two? Have you, have you read this novel before? Yeah, I, I, um, I, I read it in high school, and I, I sort of skimmed through it again. We've kind of talked about it on, on the podcast before. I think there are certain stories that have just sort of been absorbed into culture that, that everybody knows. And I think this is, I mean... Elizabeth and Darcy is like everyone knows. Everyone knows Bright and Pride and Prejudice, whether they've read it or not. Everyone knows the story, but I have read it. It rules. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how about you, Ragu? Yeah, we. I have also read it. I was what I think I was a boy of like fifteen or fourteen when when I read it. Um, it is taught um, extensively here in in English literature classes and again in college. Um, but I haven't revisited it. I have read the Spark Notes though for this episode, so I'll not mix up <laughs> the characters. But but I will. I, I know. I know it's a sto- I know what the story is about, and it's also surprisingly relatable to 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 Indians. I feel like that's. I was talking to some other English literature students as well who studied it in college, and they said oh, it was taught in such a boring way. But at least, but the way they explained the social context to those times and. And, and even the text itself, it was like, wow, this is so relatable. I mean, when you talk about marriage and prospects and all that, it's just that part to, is surprising. I, I wanted to ask you about this because I think that there is sort of like as a I, I think I am always a little bit uncomfortable when people bring like a piece of literature or art from or just like a fiction work from like Western society from like 200 years ago. And they're like, and what's crazy is that like. India is just like this today and it sort of like puts the two countries on like a weird like timeline and implies that like India has to catch up to right. England or something because that's like that contemporary India is just like 1800s England but I do want to ask you like what about this kind of depiction of marriage and like the concern for class and the components of like how much like your family or just other people are involved in finding your partner like how what parts of that resonate with you and, and and why do you think this 
the story works as like a Bollywood film. Okay. Um. So so first of all, I think this topic about India is like eminently watchable. We enjoy watching it ourselves. There's been like thousands and thousands of movies and commentaries on it. Indian matchmaking, which is on Netflix, also just you know I don't know sure. if you guys watched yeah, it. Yeah, that was yeah. that was huge here, man. Like it was definitely a guilty pleasure show for me as well. I've rewatched it, um, so it is very very watchable. And anyway, now getting to the point of it being relatable, it is massively relatable. I mean, uh, you might think that all the pomp and all the over the topness of that movie is crazy, but but at least in um, you know like these elite. Indian families in 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 the in in the in in the wealthy uh, among the wealthy people, this is this really is how it plays out most of the time. This is the norm. It's not the exception. Um, and um, so I'm 26 now, which is considered um, definitely like this is your marriageable age. Maybe I'm a little late as well. But being a guy, I think I can wait a little more. Not that there's pressure from my family at all, which we can also talk about. Um, but, um, but all my, a lot of my friends are getting married and the way they're getting married also is, I mean, it is mostly arranged marriages. And, uh, what that means is that your partner should, um, come roughly from your, from the same social circles or a little higher, you know, like then you'd be like one of those aspirational ones going after, you know, like someone who's better off than you. Um, and that sounds cynical, but it, that, that is what it is. I mean, I um, have strong opinions about this. And um, so, so I would say marriage here among not just the wealthy, among everyone is a way. I mean, you're almost ensuring your family's survival. It's, it's a way of maintaining your social structure, your social standing or elevating it a little. And I think the rest is commentary which is fun commentary, but that is the gist of it. And um, of course, it matters if your daughter is getting married or your son is getting married. Um, the concept of dowry comes in. What's expected of the, of the new wife is completely different from what is expected from the son-in-law. But we, could, we, 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 could, we, we can definitely get into that if you guys want. I do. I, I would like to, but I, I have one just kind of topical question on it. What does... I guess, like, what are what do kind of typical matchmaking events or kind of like just setups look like, and how has COVID affected that? Do you know anyone who's like meeting their potential bride like over Zoom or something? Or, um, uh, two of my best friends are, um, I think, getting to the point of uh, of getting married, or at least they're 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 actively seeking, actively looking. So, how it usually start? Okay, so I'll try doing my best to explain this. Um. Basically, it starts off with, with, with a common acquaintance or a common family friend. Okay, I think that's how it usually starts. Someone, and this was mentioned, this was alluded to in Bride and Prejudice as well, like your brothers, mothers, sisters, uncles, aunt, knows someone who happens to be from a good family. Okay, and the good family thing is shorthand for, oh, they're wealthy. Okay, and it could, but it could also mean the son is balding and he doesn't have anyone yet, but he's wealthy. And so he's a super nice guy. But anyway, um, so, so it starts like that. It starts with like an acquaintance. And then, and then usually the parents of the prospective bride or groom are approached, not them themselves. And then the question will be, you know, like broach, sometimes subtly, sometimes not very subtly at all. 
And these days, I think the new way to do it is you kind of send out, uh, you send out your bio data, which is kind of like your resume, except it'll talk about you as a person like, ah, what a lovely personality. She believes in astrology and she loves morning walks and, you know, she likes Bollywood and, and she has an MBA because everyone here has an MBA. It's like marriage. It's a rite of passage. So anyway, so. So that's what your bio data will say. And these days, because I think of COVID, um, everyone's sending PDF bio datas on WhatsApp. You'll get them. You'll get, you'll, there'll be like two pages, one with a, with a portrait of the boy or the girl. And then the whole family will look at that PDF. And then you look for, I mean, of course, if the woman, if the man or the boy, if the girl or the boy is attractive, that's a big thing. Do you think they'll settle with the family? That's usually a big thing because you do end up living in your familial home um, for a long time, if not forever. So all these things are considered. The question of whose choice is it ultimately is a little vexed. But, and again, I, I mean, again, this is a generality, but usually it has to be approved by everyone in the sense that you have to get along with the family not just with the boy or the girl so it is a collective decision that way i think we could maybe kind of move into the movie and i think like unless you have more to say caleb on this i i i think just uh just quickly just like establish what pride and 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 prejudice is in the characters of of elizabeth for sure just like a sense and sensibility um so i mean I, we've talked about this before sense and sensibility it's you know there's uh these these grand ideas embodied in people and and in this film darcy is pride and and elizabeth is prejudice um see i want to disagree with that a little bit because i think that i pride and prejudice it's i like it's one of austin's like great like noun yeah. plus noun titles where it's like it's a thematic consideration and like it's all about like how everyone has a bit of both but Pride and Prejudice, I mean, so the story is, like, uh, which I think is, is actually, like, very interesting, like, translated in this film, um, that just, like, the rich, urbane, cosmopolitan Londonites of Bingley and Darcy are, like, two hot, rich, eligible bachelors. They come to rural England, where they meet the Bennett family, which is sort of a, like, progressive, like, country gentry that is, like, of modest means and has these four daughters they're trying to marry off, but uh, there's kind of independent thinking in, in all of them, especially like Liz, Elizabeth Bennett, who's the played by Ashwarya Rai in this film. Um, so like Pride and Prejudice, it, the characters like debate and argue it at like multiple junctures in the book. And I think it's a, sometimes it's done as both those words have very negative connotations. And I think only yeah. more so now when you read it of just like it's arrogance and it's discrimination. And I think like the more you read that book and you understand like how Austin is breaking down those two themes it can be arrogance and discrimination, but it is also like assessment of like self-worth and dignity kind of. And like knowing because like part of what like Darcy realizes is that he is too proud to date like the shitty rich assholes that are available to him. And he's actually going to be happier with Elizabeth Bennet. And part of Elizabeth Bennet's like recognition of her own prejudices is that like she learns to like empathize with how Darcy actually has like a lot of well, he has, like, a lot more privilege and opportunities than her and a lot more, like, wealth and a more comfortable life. He also has, like, immense pressures on him that she's not able to pick up on to, like, marry and to, like, be rude and treat people like her as lesser. So, I don't know. It's self-discrimination, it's dignity, and it's that, like, empathy is the thing that'll get you through both of them. Totally. And I I want to talk... I guess in this film we're going to talk, I think, a lot about about 
Darcy in in the film. And I think what is important about Darcy in the novel is that he is he is arrogant, but I think the thing that does, that defines him as not arrogance is actually insecurity. Yeah, uh, he is someone who is, I mean, introduced as like the human physical embodiment of wealth and power. Um, I mean, Bingley, his extremely wealthy, very powerful friend, sees Darcy as a giant, and um, and that sort of poisons every interaction that he has with anyone because he fundamentally cannot comprehend any interaction on uh, on honest terms he every every interaction in his life has been transactional and so what comes across as arrogance and cruelty is actually i think revealed over the course of the novel a, a decent person who is deeply uncomfortable with the life that he lives and and is sort of unable to connect with people because he can't trust that they are being honest with him um, in any way. So I think that is really important and, and we'll, we'll talk about it in the course of the film, but I think we should establish that now. Um, is there anything else from the book that we want to say before moving on to the film? Um, I think that it is, a, it is a really interestingly class conscious book. Um, and I think that's, I, w- I would say out of all the Jane Austen books that we're covering for this podcast, this, I think, is the one that is the most explicit about people talking about, like, marriage and station, and there is almost this sort of, like, the characters are just openly talking about each other's, like, income levels, and there's just, like, this, like, running tally in everyone's mind of, like, class status and, like, wealth and how marriage is, like, this means to access one, or if you miss out on it, like, you doom your life and your family to, like, destitution or something. So... That said, I think the characters are kind of, like, self-aware that, and especially, like, in their own ways, like, Darcy and Elizabeth Bennet are, like, both kind of, like, self-aware about those, and a lot of their kind of conversations is, like, poking fun at the fact that they all are stuck in this in this way. Um, one of the weird limitations of the novel is that it does have kind of a weird fairy tale ending in which, like, you're too... Like the two main women and Elizabeth Bennet obviously is like just such a such a critic of like this disgusting money driven way of deciding who your partner is going to be. And then she marries the richest guy in the whole book. And it's sort of a weird like I ultimately like this like the 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 rom-com credentials of this book are so strong that it just genuinely like sweeps me over every time and just it. Like, it just wins me. Like, I totally accept that this is, like, a, a relationship I want to have working by the end of the book. But there is, like, it, it's an, it's a it's a book that is simultaneously, like, very critical and, like, weirdly kind of sentimental about this attitude. And I think that's why it has remained a classic is because of its sentimentality that it ultimately has by the third act. But the way that it has remained relevant is its perpetual critique that it's always balancing. Mm-hmm. Totally. And it's Jane Austen, like it's it's fucking hilarious. The characters are all really really well sketched out. Like Austen, totally worth reading at, at any time in your life. I think. Um, cool. Should we crack into this movie? Uh, uh, yeah. I also want to say that you guys, uh, the way you've described the book, um, 
I mean, it's relatable on like a historical and like a societal level, of course. But it, like you said, it's also a very, very personal book. And I think I'm in a part of my life where, um, I mean, I would find it like funny and also relatable. And I would, it, I, I could locate a lot of hypocrisies within myself by reading Pride and Prejudice now. So that's what makes it, I think, immortal as well. So I think that was a, I mean, you guys explained it really well. Anyway, go on. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah I, we we love it when our guests like congratulate us on the, like give us the encouragement halfway through it's like you guys are doing great like keep it up you know? i think one of our guests on a i don't know if it's a previous or later episode of this series i think their plug is literally like i'm gonna plug the podcast you're currently listening to it it's like <laughs> you, you wasted your 10 seconds of fame bud but okay should we jump up quick quick little pre-production notes yeah Caleb, take it away okay so um this director, Gurinder Chada. Um, so we've talked about... Say that uh, again. You pronounced that beautifully. Say that again. Gurinder Chada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. That was mean. Go on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we've talked about Diaspora. Um, she is uh, was not born in India, has not lived in India. She is a, uh, a diasporic Indian woman. Uh, she's born in, Ken- uh, in, in Kenya to a Sikh family um, who are also born in Kenya. And she moved to England uh, when she was two, uh, and and grew up there. So she very much identifies both as an Indian woman and as a Sikh woman, but also very distinctly as English. Um, and and we'll talk about sort of that joint identity over the course of this. Um, and her she she has talked pretty openly about the racism that her parents uh, suffered. Um, they were passed over for promotion and were essentially worked to the bone um, for the entirety of of her childhood. Um, and, uh, obviously she feels, uh, a lot of, uh, bitterness, uh, and, and, um, and, uh, a, a love for, for her parents and her parents' generation who had to, to go through a, a really, uh, and especially combined with, uh, often periods of economic recession, uh, rough time to be the immigrant underclass of the UK. Um, but she, she grew up, she became a journalist and, and a documentarian, and a filmmaker, and most of her early films, I think, are very explicitly um, dealing with this her, her sort of joint Englishness and Indianness. Um, I mean, it's uh, I think her her biggest film, her most famous film, Bend It Like Beckham. Also, her recent film, Blinded by the Light. Um, these are both about young South Asian Brits um, who find. Uh, meaning and personal fulfillment through totems of distinctly Western culture, which in this case, soccer and Bruce Springsteen, respectively, um, while also remaining true to the diasporic communities that raised them and often the insular diasporic communities that raised them. Um, Which is not to say that her uh, films are sort of dour and about, you know, bitter personal struggles with identity, because I think, what is important is that Chada kind of identifies herself as like a pretty savvy. Um, she knows she knows markets and she knows how to get films made. And she, um, in in the press tour for this one, she she in interviews would say like, you know, making bright poppy movies like Bend It Like Beckham or like Bride and Prejudice are ways to uh, these sort of big crowd pleasing films. Um, allow her greater leeway to um, 
insert her her anti-racist uh, messaging in that. Um, and I think that that is also very uh, present in this film. So about this film herself, she did not set out on this film to, I, to, to, to make a Jane Austen novel. She very much wanted to make a Western Hollywood film um, and in fact only decided to adapt Pride, uh, Pride and Prejudice um, because she said, quote, I needed a good story that everyone was familiar with so they wouldn't be freaked out by the Indian film language being foreign. So I went with the Jane Austen novel that we all did at school and that we all know and just started to Indianize it. So I think when you say like her really keen commercial instincts, like that is very much at the center of this, using Austen as a way to tell an Indian story, using uh, a pillar of, of English culture to, to tell a different story about what it is to be Indian. Um, so on set, uh, so this was... Uh, a pretty international production. She has talked a lot about like the importance of of having uh, diverse film crews. So she had uh, you know uh, English people on set, but uh, she also brought in Bollywood veterans uh, to choreograph the big numbers. Uh, and she said, uh, "quote My job was to let them do what they did, but according to my brief. So if I ever thought they were being too Bollywood, I'd bring it back to what I wanted." So again, it's it's very much her vision of what this film is, and it's very much a hybrid of of Bollywood and of of her own English uh, cultural upbringing, um, and so yes, it, it, the result is that um, both she and and sort of the Bollywood people that she brought on set, uh, they fully saw the film not as 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 a distinct Bollywood entity, but as uh, a hybrid of the two film cultures, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. This is not. This is, I mean, it's it's technically not a Bollywood film because it was it's not a an Indian production, but it is also stylistically and formally not fully a Bollywood film. It's an English film with, you know, heavy Bollywood influences. And I think that's important. For sure, but I think that, and we should get into when we talk about like music and like the dance numbers in this. She gives herself like a certain amount of flexibility, and I have a, a drop from kind of the choreographer that gets into it. But like, I think the the musical numbers and definitely how they're kind of yeah how the viewer is kind of thrust into them i think is i i think like i i am pretty impressed with that as like an act of like immersing a western audience into what feels like a deeply kind of like as she said like the bollywood film language or just like a foreign film language not spoken language but just like film language from a, from a different culture but um should we should we should we just crack into the into kind of how this movie starts and, and what it sets it up with yeah, can, can I ask you guys one question uh, sure. before before um, just just as uh, as people who aren't used to um, original songs and dancing in a movie, uh, how, what did you think about that? Like um, you kind of alluded to it, Frank, but um, just what's your what's your opinion on it stylistically, aesthetically, or just just generally? Like, is it something that bugs you, or do you think it? does anything for the story or it doesn't and that doesn't matter but like what what are your thoughts on it i'm just curious about that yeah for sure so i think there's like there's a couple things here in that like i i have seen like a couple of bollywood films and i sort of understood going in that this movie was going to have like bollywood splashes in it um i would say my i i, I don't know if this like term is going to do anything for either of you or like for the listeners but i would say my exposure to bollywood is very ap world history kind of and that i think there's a couple of films that get sort of shown like in classrooms so i've seen um uh lagan is like i think weirdly like is, is a movie it's a pretty great movie i think it's a really excellent movie and there's something about it that 
Um, I don't know. It feels like both a very intense distillation of that format, but also like it is like this historical episode that I think lends itself really well to like showing to Americans and especially like American high schoolers. So yeah, I've seen that. And um, I think it's another Amir Khan film is um, Three Idiots is uh, Three Idiots. And um, and then My Name is Khan, which I think he did he direct or produce that or does he have no involvement? No, I, I don't think I don't think Amir Khan has anything to do with that. That's, yeah. our, that's our other that's our other Khan. That's Shah Rukh Khan, who is also a big Khan. So, yeah. OK. Anyway, uh, go on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, no. So like I kind of knew going in that there was going to be I so I had like a very hyper limited, but at least like a sense of exposure to like what Bollywood musicals that these sort of look like. The marketing of this film, I think is very interesting in that like the trailers do not can't really decide if they're going to advertise it as a Bollywood musical or not. I was actually quite, I was actually a little surprised once we were in the thick of it, that it was going just like full Bollywood musical number um, with almost like no uh, like setup or lead in. And it's part of how they use the Darcy characters as like white audience surrogate in the whole thing. Um, and then I think the musical influences in this are, it's like an interest, like some of them I think feel very Bollywood to me. Other ones feel like they come more out of like an American musical tradition and like with sort of like an Alan Menken kind of touch, um, or at least like a blend of the two. The scene when the, when the three women are singing about like uh, bringing a marriage to town, there's something in the energy of like different shopkeepers like chiming in and, and like coming in with their like featured vocal that feels very like Alan Menken and kind of like, Reminded me a lot of the opening musical number to like Beauty and the Beast, which I think is like very much in kind of like the Broadway American musical vein. But I am more musical pro. I'm more pro musical than Caleb is. So I know Caleb's going to come in with a fiery hot difference. Yeah, I, I do agree with that, by the way. That's very, I think I completely agree with that. But but go on, Caleb. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I saw this movie when it first came out. So, I mean, I, I was not uh, by any means surprised um, by the musical numbers. Um. But I like Frank alluded to. I mean, the the Hollywood musical was a staple of the American film industry essentially until the nineteen seventies. So there is, um, there is sort of a, I mean, not to the same degree as in India, but there is a, a deep, and it's a, a different sort of musical. So it's, but I think what is what is, the the American music, the film musical anyway, has mostly died. As, as sort of a cultural institution, it's mostly uh, a relic. Um, so I, I, it feels less relevant and less vital to, to films that I, I watch today. And, and I, I also don't seek out um, musicals in the way that, that others do. But yeah, I, I, don't, I don't personally respond um, particularly to American musicals. I don't love them. Particularly, um, I don't like American show tunes and that tradition of of songwriting. I don't like, but that's very different than 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 Bollywood songwriting um, and 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 certainly Bollywood choreography. Um, so it's um, yeah. I I don't know. I we'll get into it at the end. I don't love this film. I'm just gonna say it now. Um, but I don't think that makes it a, a bad film. I just think this this is a film that is. Uh, not for me, which is not because I'm just a Westerner. It's just like I just don't like musicals that much. You know, I I don't I don't respond to them. All right, should should we should we get into this? this Let's get into this film. All right, so um, this opening comes in. We are 
Amritsar, India, which my understanding is like sort of a, a sort of like rural kind of agrarian region of it. The way that it opens up is like, I think, very quick cutting between uh, Martin. I got to pull up this cast list really quickly. That's the wrong tab. Such a beautiful cast, though. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Martin Henderson. Yeah. Martin Henderson and Niveen and maybe Andrews. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. we open in on Amritsar, India. Ashwarya Rai is riding inside of a tractor along a, a sort of agricultural area. While Martin yeah, Anderson... mustard fields. Yeah. yeah. Which is okay. a huge, huge, huge theme in Bollywood, by the way. Mustard fields are huge. Best okay. place to make out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Or at least best place to... <laughs> Best place to run slowly towards your partner with your dupatta in the air and all that. It's huge. People get their wedding shoots. Like, I want to get my wedding shoot like that, like alone even, you know, mm. <laughs> it's it's fun. Mustard fields are cool. I'll send pictures. Anyway, sorry, go on. No, no, no all good. So Ashwarya Rai, is, she's, she's in the tractor on the mustard fields. Martin Henderson is in the plane landing on the runway. And I think this is kind of a smart, quick opening of just like, he's the jet set. She is like the agrarian gentry. Like it sets up that dynamic pretty quickly. Um, the setup is that they're both in town for a wedding. Um, I will say Darcy's inclusion in here is like a little shaky in that he's like, it's his friend's brother's friend is getting married. Can I interrupt you for one sec? Go ahead. I'm sorry, huh? But, um, but, but I don't think that, um, Eshwarya was really like the, she, she isn't exactly agrarian at all. Amritsar also isn't isn't like a small it's not a small city it's quite okay. a large city it's not it's not delhi or anything but i think she is uh, she's that like if you see their house it's like a big house and it's i mean i would even call it a mansion they have a servant and all that so they i mean maybe they have some i don't actually know but maybe they have some interest in the field but i don't think she's like she's definitely not agrarian it's not a farmer family i don't think at all so uh, I, would, I, I would I would say she's very much like an urban cosmopolitan Indian, like the fact that they go to Goa and all that. But anyway, we could talk about that as well. It's interesting that you thought that. So, yeah, sorry. No, all good. But I mean, so I would say kind of our first big scene is like this wedding that they're all gathered at. And um, I don't know, I'd be, I'd be curious to take on this. I think Indian weddings have become like a very like attractive setting and scenario, I think in like Western imagery and like you will see more and more like um, interracial couples where someone does have kind of South Asian heritage. Like it feels like more often than not, they lean towards like throwing an Indian wedding because they do just seem like a lot more fun and like, and just like beautiful and uh, like this kind of like enticing sort of like, I'm, I'm sort of flaming out by trying to like, as we talked about at the top of the recording, B2 PC and then I'm also trying to make generalizations at the same time so it's like a poor marriage but like Indian weddings are like super enticing to audiences and I think have been for a little while I think one of the bigger like crossover hits of the last like 20 years from Indian to American cinema is uh is Monsoon Wedding from Mira Nair um which is I think part of the like sumptuous joys of that movie is that you literally just get to be enmeshed in an Indian wedding um how is this as a depiction of one is this like do you think it's leaning on Western kind of prejudices or like assumptions about what an Indian wedding is supposed to look like? Is it, is it, does it get into, is it, is it a good wedding scene? I guess. Yeah. So, um, so Hindu, a Hindu wedding, I'm talking like, I'm not talking about Indian weddings. I'm talking very strictly about Hindu uh, marriages. Um, The essentials of a Hindu marriage are very simple. Okay. You need uh, you need a pundit like uh, you you need, you need like someone officiating it, 
and you need a sacred fire and you need to go around the said fire seven seven and a half times that's in essence that's what a hindu marriage is okay that's what like that's what the law says um it's it's codified it's personal hindu law okay do they do things like what about things like um when i think of american weddings i think of like open bars and like huge amounts of dancing and the sort of like that you bring in like social connections from a lot of all over is that a dynamic of it too? yeah 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 that definitely no i'm just saying that that it, it it has all of that but i'm just saying fundamentally if you if you if you just look at like the hindu marriage act that's all that's that's all that you require okay that's all that's okay. that's needed so everything else is embellishment and everything else it, it, it is for fun and is 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 a mark, is is a social marker okay so the thing you said about there being open bars and people from all over coming to your wedding very true very very true i mean more so if you're wealthy so uh, i mean i think so so an indian wedding would have not just one ceremony it's not just wedding day right it's like a week long procession of celebrations leading up to the, to the wedding and you will invite sometimes you will inf- invite different people to those events like di- like some people will only be invited to the pre wedding ceremony some people will only be invited to the post reception and of course your best buddies will be there for the whole thing so guest lists often top and i'm not exaggerating thousand like a thousand there will be more than a thousand wow. people cumulatively attending a wedding um of course dependent on lots of things but it is it is very much a gala grand affair like like bride and bride shows okay so that i would say is accurate uh the dancing the dandiya nights i mean we come we see our brides <laughs> we ride a horse on on like busy roads to get to our wedding destination it's 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 a celebration and so it's huge okay um so so i would say that this is actually an accurate um a quite a very accurate actually description of at least upper class indian weddings a wedding also kind of is like a film set i mean just the way it's set out and decked sure. out so that's kind of a it's a it's a good way for it to um um i mean it's just it makes for really good film making i think no i think it's one of the it's one of the i mean i because I, i worked weddings for about a summer as a wedding server which is like a pretty fun job to have it's one of the only places that i think has both a uh, crafty production designers, choreographers, costume like it does have just like a ton of like you're right to say it's like a film set like it does just have a bunch of the same like literal jobs that go into making a film happen actually happen in a wedding. Yeah. So we get our like first dance number at the wedding here and I guess uh I mean whatever like it's sort of I think you get the first clue about how this movie is playing with its different influences when they uh they describe that uh Indira Indira Varma has that like great line about talking that uh that Naveen Andrews is going to bust in like the the Indian MC Hammer and I think that's sort of the one clue you get of like that the film is trying to decide if it has a westerner or an indian audience that it's going after and then it like launches into this like really fun like high energy dance number that I thought but obviously Caleb the cold yeah, no, cold hearted I... Caleb is not going to respond in the same way as me but no, here here is the thing I actually love this opening and it, like including this opening number and i do what i do think is interesting about this opening number is that the song is in i, be- I believe it's hindi um parts of it are for sure yeah and yeah. But not all of it is subtitled at least on the version the stream exactly. that I was watching through you no same yeah. same yeah, yeah. but like, the, most of the rest of the songs in this in this film are, are sung in english and i think 
are not good. And I, I do think, uh, and, and feel like more of a cynical, um, a cynical attempt to pull in Western audiences to like, make sure they're not getting lost. Um, whereas, I mean, you talk about Raghu, that this is an accurate Indian wedding. I've never been to one. I can't comment, but this does feel like, um, not an attempt to make a Western musical, but does from an outsider. It seems that this is, um, an Indian tradition that I am an, an Indian cinematic tradition that I am watching and not something that's being created for me. Um, and in that way, I like, I find, um, much better, but like maybe Regu in a sec, you're going to tell me like, this is all bullshit. It feels, uh, less compromised than the rest of the film. No, I think, uh, that is, that is accurate. Um, the, the first number, which is called Bale Bale is actually one of the things I remember even now about the movie. Like I, it's played at weddings. It's a, it's, it's, it's a big hit. Like it's a big, um, big, big, like just a memorable part of the movie. I was so, when I started watching it last night and that number played, I was like, yeah, I, I want to see Naveen Andrews dance. I want, <laughs> I want to see, I've never seen the man dance. I didn't know he danced. He didn't, he didn't before this. He did not, he had to learn to dance for this film. And he did well, man. Like that first opening move, that was, that's a complex move. I mean, I know nothing about dance and I'm passing it off as a complex move, but no, he did a good job. And <laughs> yeah. Anyway, my point is you, I think you guys both got it correctly. And um, the first, the first number is very much a Bollywood number. And I don't know how to describe that. It's like, when I hear it, I know it. Okay. I'm, I'm quoting one of your Supreme Court judges here. Yeah. <laughs> So, so that was de definitely Bollywood with the dandia, with the with like everyone dancing, and and in fact, I didn't remember the scenes where Ashwarya starts singing or when she is doing the whole um, the whole monologue in form in form of a song when she's I think at the fountain or whatever. And I fast forwarded that bit. I was like, oh god, like this is a travesty. I like, don't want to hear this. Like this is doing nothing for me. And and that that is not, I think, a traditional Indian sort of institution. The that that kind of musical where you're where you're monologuing, where you're sharing your where you're distilling your thoughts and like using song, that is a Western import. We we don't do that. Yes, I had a question for you about this because there is a if I'm hearing correctly, there's kind of the, there's a shorthand we have in like American musicals when we talk about songs, which is I think it's the I want versus I am song, I think is the other sort of side of it. But basically that like it's that. Yes. So. Yeah. So it's the I, I am versus the I want song. And the I want song is generally done by like your main character express like an internal desire they have. And like the idea being that like you can you can voice something internally in music that you can't communicate. Like this is the defense of musicals as an art form. Like you can voice something in music that you cannot communicate or execute in like just characters talking to each other. And then there's the I am song, which is the like you introduce your character like they bust in on the scene and that's if you've seen Beauty and the Beast, that's when Gaston runs in and sings about like, I eat three dozen eggs on the wall every day. And, you know, it goes through, goes through his whole, his whole diet. So I get the sense that like Bollywood musicals do not really do that, that like songs are meant to like, they're meant to move the plot along. They're less about interiority and more about like putting characters into dynamics or they're just like descriptions of like, of, of something else. Is that like, a, like, would you say that I want an I am dichotomy? Is that a thing in Bollywood musicals or not? 
largely i i i i i wouldn't um i i wouldn't say that like um i so i don't so so bollywood songs aren't really used as narrative devices if that makes sense they're not okay. they're, it's not it's not it's not about uh i mean it, they they're very often like i think i think balraj was actually used you could say that it was just an aesthetic thing but but the song also was an introduction to balraj right mm-hmm. like this is balraj's personality he is an incredibly charismatic man well traveled and he he knows he can hold his own on a dance floor and that's an identifier too so very often there will be dance sequences right at the beginning of a movie sometimes completely unrelated to the character sometimes just because the guy can dance like there's this guy rithik roshan who is an incredible dancer he'll start most movies with the dance which has nothing to do with the movie just an incredible dancer i can watch that man dance all day um but other times like in bride and prejudice um um like uh, balraj was introduced i think by the song so it was kind of not a narrative disc- device but still more than just an aesthetic thing and often that will happen in bollywood Your, the character is 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 introduced using a dance so as sort of an indirect um what do you call it um a narrative device that way. Mm-hmm. but 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 m- m- these songs are usually i mean they're celebratory they're always upbeat and all that i don't i i can't think of too many movies where it opens with a song and the song is like sort of a negative song or like not a happy song introducing a character so yeah so at this wedding scene uh, after and kind of during as we're seeing this song number happen our darcy character who is just named darcy all the all the anglo names are just imported or at least for i guess he's the only one but his name has been imported directly over um darcy played by martin henderson here who i think is like mostly a tv hot guy before this um darcy uh, and ashwarya rai who is who's, who's pretty wonderful in this film she is playing the she's lalita bakshi which is sort of the elizabeth bennett character um they're meeting and they have this sort of great exchange about or at least maybe maybe not great but at least like very kind of direct and pointed exchange about marriage traditions and it's sort of an interesting kind of rehash of the conversation that we were having earlier on mike about just like how how marriage and courtship is performed in india and it's sort of a like i don't know it's it's it's, it is it's the rom-com meet cute is also trying to be an east 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 meets west scene it's also trying to be i think like like arrogant dumbasses like is had has his shit called out by like smart empowered woman how do we feel about the scene how do we feel about these two performers um so i uh i i thought uh, so i didn't remember how the interaction started but when darcy called um the whole the whole sort of situation backward that really got to me like that grated on me yeah and uh, i i don't really remember um ashwarya's response to that um but but i i i do think that it was a good um it, it was a decent setup maybe it was a little too too black and white in the sense that um ashwarya was kind of um the uh, sorry lalita was the more sort of enlightened rural woman who knows what's what and darcy's just like so culturally unaware um that he's that, that he's like he's offensive and also stupid at the same time but i think at this i i think it sets it sets the tone well for what for for what is to come like um he's obviously uncomfortable 
in the first scene and that's portrayed well and then he gradually becomes more sort of at home in india which is kind of an annoying sort of linear way i think that is kind of an anno- annoying linear device but um, but yeah i think it's a good um, it 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 is a decent uh, setup scene like just the way that they sort of are completely at odds with each other frank do you have anything about this say about the scene for i take a minute to bully martin henderson no i think we should bully martin henderson i think it's uh you've talked about how like darcy is a character character that like it's insecurity masking as arrogance um this is a stupidity masking as in, in stupidity i don't know like martin henderson is kind of shit in this movie i think i think he's i think he's he's not kind of shit this is a terrible performance and <laughs> um darcy in in the novel is is many things but he's never blank he's never thoughtless he is um in in the beginning of the film he's cruel um but he, and and just um but because of the things that are inherent to his being his wealth and his power he is impossible to be ignored and martin henderson is i mean the only thing that you can say about this performance is that he is a terrible accent um he's from new zealand doing an american and it's a shit american but other than that this is a flat nothing performance um he holds he has no screen presence. He's horrible in this film. And I don't, like, I do want to bully Martin Henderson because I think he's bad. But I also think this is just, this film fundamentally doesn't understand Darcy as a character, which I think is a bummer because I think this is my greatest frustration. If this if this film, you know, had more respect or not even respect, but more, um, paid more attention to the novel in the first place there's a much deeper there are there there are ideas that are just not fleshed out in this film in this film darcy is is american and and i think this is interesting because american generational wealth is much different than than english generation generational wealth it's it's there are literally not as many generations uh i think Sort of when you think of of the old money, there's we talk about insecurity in Darcy, but you know the American elites and the aristocrats try so hard to be European um, and and to to be sort of austere and in, in the way of of you know at least in sort of the traditional um, sort of waspy East Coast uh, setting. Try what? try to emulate the English aristocracy because there is that insecurity about sort of what it is to be American and to be the nouveau riche. And just none of that is approached in the film. Um, I can talk for 25 minutes about like what a waste of a character and performance this is, but I truly think I can't explain how this is so flat other than, you know, you know, no one read this novel for 20 years (laughs) before writing this movie. Yeah. I think it's a weird, like, because so what I think is, I think the ways that this movie translates Pride and Prejudice, the way that this movie translates Pride and Prejudice well is in taking it as like a holistic translation. And where whereas like when Amy Hackerling does Emma to Clueless, she is 
there is like a hyper attention to these characters and figuring out just how perfectly to translate like this person's level of class into like the Gen X or like dopey dude that like Paul Rudd is in that. And those are all like point by point, like super well done translations of the characters. There is a sort of, I don't know, like holistically, I think this movie hangs together as a good interpretation of Pride and Prejudice and figures out where to go with like Collins, I think. And like Collins to Colisar, I think is a very interesting and like kind of astute translation of that character, partly because of the things that it's willing to depart with and get rid of in Colisar or in, in Collins and that it's not like bending over backwards to make that as direct a, or like as perfect and cohesive a translation, but willing to like get the sketch and not the, and not the details. But I think you're right that it like it, the sketch of Darcy that it's going after here is that it wants to convey like bright new money, you know? And that's like this whole like hotel chain thing is I think a choice to try to make him to make him like landed aristocracy in a world that that doesn't exactly exist anymore of like 20th century wealth. Um, And there's moments like when you get to meet his mom and it's like out at this whole like green estate, that is a fun like Austin-y scene that makes sense in a 21st century context. But like, I agree with you, Caleb. I think that like Martin Henderson, if there was going to be someone to understand, like the script is not giving the room for insecurity masking his arrogance. And if someone was going to bring that, it's it's Marty H here and he's not up for the task at all. Yeah, I I mean, I and I think maybe this is just because it's an English production and, and just, I don't know, this, it fundamentally seems to misunderstand uh, America. I mean, even sort of the scene when, you know, he takes, uh, when he takes Lolita out um, to dinner at the Mexican restaurant, it's at like a strip it's mall chili. so weird. And like, and in a movie that I think has been like, kind of, or at least like a project that has been to some degree patting itself on the back for showing like, and Ragu jump if I'm wrong with this, but like showing like a real India and like like sort of trying to break past and see past like and and try to critique like Western assumptions about about arranged marriages and about like class in India. It was crazy to just go to like a strip mall Mexican restaurant and have a mariachi band like be your opening into it. Like it was such it was such lazy semiotics in a movie that I think had not been leaning on those kind of stereotypes for a lot of its subject material. Yeah, I don't know. I think this is. I mean, you know, there are, there are fundamental choices that need to be made in in the adaptation process, but this is this is cutting fifty percent of the novel and and reducing it down to a boiled ham. I don't know. This is. I think this is this is wretched filmmaking. This, I mean, this character and and the way that he is written. I think it's just kind of. I don't know if I it's I think it's kind of inexcusable and I think there are, there are things in this film that you can absolutely excuse and and it's intermittently delightful but god I get a headache whenever Martin Anderson's on screen um I, I do uh, I don't think that he had to be a faithful reproduction of of, of Darcy I think I that the movie yeah I I think that the movie um, so, so for someone like me who hasn't read Pride and Prejudice in a long, long time and, and doesn't even remember the plot, I think all it needed to get from Pride and Prejudice, like I think, like Chadda said, was that it needs just like that, that 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 springboard of um, 
uh, of these uh, of these four daughters who are whose families are looking for a, a, a groom mm-hmm. and uh, and th- i think that's kind of where the familiarity really ends i mean at least maybe for mm-hmm. i'm not going to say indian audience uh, i mean but, but but for me and i i think that's that's all that was required as for darcy being american i th- i really think they made him american because of that one line in the movie where he said i'm not a britisher uh, well she she calls him an imperialist uh, lalita calls him an imperialist and she says well no i'm not a britisher i'm an american and she says exactly and abruptly leaves i think that was really the only reason to make him american uh, i agree about uh, this scene at the mexican restaurant being co- completely weird like i mean that i mean i kind of came out of nowhere but also another scene and i'd like your opin- opinion on this which was which i found very sort of like jarringly bad or i don't know if it was intentional or not but in goa where she's walking with the uh, wickham right when w- wickham sure. the villain character is introduced and they're walking along the beach and wickham says oh what i like about india is that um uh, you don't need money here you know you can get you can get you can uh, you can get around and you can have a perfectly good time without money or without that much money now that is like a shocking 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 thing to say when you know what india is about i mean those with means in india are fine yes you, you can you i would argue you could even live like a kingly existence but if you don't have money you're fucked it's it's hell like you get get out of my house go onto the street and the vast majority the vast watch vast vast majority are have nots and they aren't getting along just fine like it's 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 literally like it's a tragedy like most for most people here it's not it's not an exaggeration to say that like life is a tragedy like nothing works so do you think that was said that was wickham supposed to sound like a complete moron there or or is that yeah. again an un- misunderstanding yeah i think i think absolutely and and i think that that is actually an extremely austin austenian austenian sort of line for someone to say Austin, yeah. um um i mean sort of we, we've talked about sort of especially men in this like well everyone should spend their life on their estates and not go to the city as if everyone has estates and i think this everyone in this i mean you you talk about the the bakshis are like actually kind of of, of sort of a cosmopolitan family and they like can afford to go to goa on sort of impromptu vacations and they don't really seem to work and have an enor- enormous house um and i think that is central to austin and and her and her her satirical uh edge and 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 class consciousness is that all of her characters are wealthy and have varying degrees of awareness of that wealth so i think that it's it is ex- i think that is you're supposed to believe that wickham is a fool and a moron and that also lolita who is like so taken with it and believes him when he says that is also i mean she's being flattered and and is also being kind of a moron so i i will defend that scene and 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 that line i think it's a good translation of wickham because in the novel wickham is and jane austen loved these guys they're, they're i've been calling them the red herring himbos where it's just like a handsome attractive like dude rolls in and he seems like the just the ticket and then something is wrong and often it's like a moral failing of his other times it's just like and it's always interesting to see how those filmmakers play with it the choice i think to make because in the novel he is a uh, he's a soldier he's a soldier he's this kind of itinerant rakish soldier 
And he's he actually has kind of a bad past behind him, but people don't know about that because he moves around and he has kind of the cover of being a part of the army. Updating that to the douchey backpacker who like, and I've I've spent time around people like this, and I've unfortunately fallen into this trap myself in ways I've talked about other places. But the whole like, God, the people they just really get it here, man, and you know you just don't need money, just like life is good. And that same argue you were dead on of just like that just deep deep unawareness of like that class conflict exists everywhere and that inequality is rife in the whole planet like the way that you could go to india and consider yourself like enmeshed and aware of the culture and have no sense of like the suffering that is that is that is apparent for people's lives there is i i think like a this guy sucks and he sucks in the novel and he sucks in the movie and i think it's kind of a cool way to to pull off the, the that translation uh, from the two. So I must amend what I said, and that was in fact a very good scene because Ashwarya also like. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> we did it, Caleb. We mansplained. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that I uh, no, that's cool. I mean, I think the way Ashwarya reacted, or sorry, Lalita Bakshi reacts to him, I think is also very, very telling. I mean, I think that then is a. Uh, I mean, because she is, she comes across as this, um, not all knowing, but like this very sort of um, down to earth informed character. But uh, the fact that she did not react to that statement and just like shared, like stared into his, you know, like uh, deep blue eyes is very, very telling. So yeah, that's a, that's a good scene right there. I stand corrected. Well, and what do we think about Ashwarya Rai in this? Because I think she's, I think she's doing a pretty good interpretation of Elizabeth Bennett, who is like, I don't know, like, one of the most, like, fantastic protagonists in any novel. Like, she's, she is smart as hell. She's, like, super cool. She's, like, a little bit above it all, but still has, like, some some things to learn. And part of her relationship with Wickham in, in the book is all about, like, giving herself permission to, like, fall into sentimentality that she doesn't have. Because, like, it's sort of, um, uh, eh. there's a very good Onion article that is, like, Area woman takes break from feminism for 20 minutes to enjoy episode of television, which I've always enjoyed as like the satire of like, like sometimes you need to like let go of your kind of dignity and self-respect to just like get some access, some sort of sensuous pleasure. And that's Elizabeth Bennett in Wickham. She like kind of, she kind of uh, demeans herself by like letting herself have the crush on him. But how do we feel about Ashoria Rai in, in this film? I think she's pretty good. I, um, so I, I think this is interesting because uh, I don't think that um, uh, Darcy was a great actor, uh, but I found him more palatable than Ashwarya Rai. And I think, honestly, this is, <laughs> this, this is just because what we're used to seeing. I mean, for you guys, Ashwarya is like this novelty and all that. Um, but um, in all honesty, I don't want to make it too personal, but I just don't think she can act. I mean, I think she's a very poor actor. She is a beautiful woman, no doubt about it. But I was, I told my mom also last night that I watched Bride and Prejudice and she was like, oh, that, I mean, like, Aishwarya is unbearable in that movie. Wow. Like, she cannot act. Um, so I think uh, hers was a great, I mean, it was an interesting character with its contradictions, but... I just I think she's a very poor actor and my and my my vocabulary for like acting here is limited. I I'm not a nuanced guy when it comes to crit critique, uh, critiquing acting. So I'll just say good or bad or flat or she looked blah. So this is my extent. <laughs> this is the extent of what I'll say. <laughs> I think she looked I think she looked rather blah. 
so there there's my scathing indictment but i'd like to hear what you what you what you sort of think about that i mean i think uh there part of performance is just screen presence and and she has it and um ashoria rai is i mean her performance is like fairly flat i mean she it's 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 a lot of like pretty straight ahead line readings um but i don't think she i mean i don't think she's bad i don't think she needs particularly to do more than that she's supposed to be a little bit a little bit haughty and a little bit too self assured and self absorbed and not particularly um at least i think in in this in this adaptation not particularly internal i think it's sort of flat but i thought it was fine i also felt that for the like the 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 rom-com energy that this movie is ultimately pulling off i feel like ashwari almost has that whole relationship on her back because we've talked about martin henderson he's flat and he's shitty and he's kind of unappealing in this. So me believing in this relationship at all is I think entirely her. I think she is, she is somehow, she is not giving, she's not giving a lot of work from her screen partner in terms of chemistry. And I think she is, has to radiate like two times brighter to cover for that. And I think she pulls it off. Yeah, that's, that, that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, I think when I talk about flatness or maybe this is just like a side note but there's an interview of Aishwarya of Aishwarya Rai with David Letterman I don't know if you guys have watched that and it's a very awkward interview mm. because he's being a bit of a dick like you know like oh you still live with your parents huh and she is like <laughs> it's funny but she is actually quite uh, I mean she does not take it well but she gives it back to him like us Indians think that she holds her own Uh, I would encourage you to watch that uh, that interview it's on YouTube it's like an 8 minute interview oh yeah uh, and I think it it might have come out around the time of this movie and she looks and you know you she would she sounds just like um, Lalita Bakshi there as well so maybe that's also why I thought that she was a little flat because oh she's just playing herself and an- another side note um uh, just about this about Darcy so um I'm not as well versed about the book as you guys are but I thought of Darcy as this um, of course he's not a midwesterner but I related him to my college experiences and I thought that I thought of him as one of my friends coming from college to to India and you know he can't mm-hmm. keep his pajama up he's completely overwhelmed and that does mm-hmm. happen belly belly happens and you are I mean you'll get a headache I mean it does happen it's not a stereotype and i thought he portrayed that decently especially like the way he plays the drums the drums right at the end he looks terrible like he looks so uncomfortable it's like he's getting like a prostate exam or something but i think it's still accurate like it's just not a natural thing for that guy to do like you know he lives on a plantation and here he is in amritsar like striking some striking a drum set and he's trying to get fa- like you know get, get get some from this woman but his whole the whole family is watching so i thought that was um uh, pretty decent but um but ha- but given how you described darcy um i think that's a fair critique but again as someone who doesn't know the novel as intimately i thought his depiction of um overwhelmed mid not midwesterner but 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 overwhelmed white boy was not bad but but no but your point is well taken But is it a performance or is it just like he's inept and dumb and like that's <laughs> I I don't need to think but it's like I I hear you of just like he has to play culture shock but like I don't know it's like one of those performances where it's like you don't even need to act and it still comes out as like you're fucking stupid and don't know what you're doing here. 
Um, right, right. No. There's, there's another performance I want our opinion on, which is which is Colisar, and that is uh, that so is, entertaining. Loved it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, who is this guy? This guy, yeah, Nitin Nitin Ganatra, who I think is like like a British actor. Is was kind of my reading up well, the research that I did on him. I think he's like like grew up and like I think he's like a born and raised like British actor. Um this character is is Koli Saab in the in the film. He is like a cousin of the family who has made it rich in America uh as an accountant and has sort of a comfortable life and comes back to just sort of like advertise and promise that world and do the most just kind of gross like attempt to marry any of the daughters available and uh, upon finding out that Elizabeth Bennet or ex that that Lalitha is the available one goes after it. Um, I think this is a nice piece of adaptation because Mr. Collins in the novel is like a parishioner or something. Like he like he like he runs just like a little church and has a very sort of meek middle class life, but he's like aggressively proud of it. And I think an adaptation could bend itself over backwards, trying to make that a translation of like he's like has a similar job or like has this like religious involvement or whatever in his life. And I think this movie gets that like Mr. Collins is like that, that running a parish in Jane Austen's time does not really mean running a parish now or have any kind of like being a spiritual or religious person and figures out that making him like the gaudy uh, money grubbing, just like nerd is, is like a pretty, is an effective translation. And I think he's like funny in this movie. I think he like injects some good energy into it. Yeah, no, I, I think what's important about Mr. Collins is, like, the arrogance that he has. I mean, he's, like, an, an incredibly unimportant person. And yet, because, you know, the women in this novel and, and generally in, in, in Jane Austen's world have so little power um, and and their lives are so close to destitution that, like, despite the fact that he's an absolute buffoon and no one respects him, he still feels incredibly entitled to just marry, you know, the hottest girl he can find yeah. because, you know, he can provide them a life. And I, so I do find that interesting, the sort of the immigrant done, the immigrant done good returning home, you know, even though he is a bit of a buffoon or more than a bit, an absolute buffoon, um, with not much to offer anyone except security, but like waltzing, waltzing into the into the old country, you know, like a big shot when they are in fact a mediocrity. That feels like a really astute piece of adaptation as well. I I do like that. Ragu, as as a, a mediocrity who returned to the home country, was is, <laughs> did you feel a lot of uh, kinship with this character? Yeah, um, I thought I thought that there was if there was one guy I could play faithfully, I, it would be Kohli, <laughs> the bumbling moron. And yeah, I mean the only the only appeal I would have is oh yeah, he's lived abroad, so he maybe knows a thing or two. And I thought, and again, that is uh, that is uh, interesting. Um, I don't know if Kohli was new wealth because he was definitely wealthy, and uh, uh, and and the way uh, sort of. Um, NRIs or people with green cards in the US are viewed. Um, I thought that was also pretty accurate. Like that could be, that could be a very legitimate way of, uh, of, of staking a claim on someone as uh, desirable as the Bakshi sisters, right? So I think that was like a good sort of de- depiction and just like another added um, 
just another added dimension of of, of how we how we view social class so if you're someone who has an established business in in america that is very very desirable like i mean you'll see these adverts in the newspapers here it's quite people find it really funny there's like matrimonial ads all the time and very often it'll be handsome uh handsome indian boy settled abroad uh working with microsoft or something or started his own company also fair which is very important but anyway my point is that um if you, if you if you do live abroad and you're looking to take a wife um back with you to the us or to europe it's it's very very i mean it's desirable so um he was a good he's a good character i i watched this movie um when it came out in 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 the cinemas and all that and and he he was well received and i watched so the, i watched it in hindi it was dubbed in hindi also and i think it's actually funnier in hindi Hmm. so um so just the way i mean the way he is like the way he eats his food and the way he does that morning walk with that person playing what i don't know if it was a sitar in the background i've i laughed like i i really found that really funny that is uh, again i think a funny depiction of how even i was like that too i guess when i would come back from college for like uh, two months i would be like oh i want to st- try all this indian food i want to you know i want to go learn some yoga i want to do all these cool indian things i've missed my roots so just the way they they do that the way they satirize that is just very i think it was very good sort of comic relief i, I mean i it's so good that i remember from i remember it from 2004 when i watched it like my grandfather found it funny everyone kind of found it funny so good good comic relief character and also i thought it was kind of almost profound the way um sonali bendre's character which is uh, lalita's best friend um talks about settling it's not se- yeah okay settling i think is the right word but but marrying him yeah. she says that he is simple that he is maybe a bit of a buffoon and maybe he is not the right guy for lalita but maybe lalita judged him a little too fast and also very importantly he is a good man he does not mean any harm and and she likes it there she likes living in la with him and that is how a lot of my friends also i think view marriage she 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 says to lalita i'm not a romantic like you and this for me is what an idea of a good partnership is so i thought just that like 2 minute scene was also very very profound in the sense that is how a lot of people here view marriages so kohli good character uh um can we transition to like another pair of sort of comic relief characters can we talk about uh mr and and, and mrs bakshi these are are, are the parents of of the four uh siblings adapted of course from from Mr and Mrs Bennett um so in the novel Mr and Mrs Bennett have almost a a, a fairly combative relationship um Mr Bennett's property is not going to pass to any of his daughters because of the the um the law says it can only pass to a man I think it's and, passing to Collins in the book. I think if I remember, like, yeah, 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 I think that's which right. is sort of yeah. a weird flavor that doesn't happen in this, but that's okay. Like, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, and and I think that uh, it it puts um, Mrs. Bennett's matchmaking, which I think in the film is played like almost entirely as comic relief, in in much um, in a much different light. It is it is. truly life or death and i think it really also makes mr bennett who is charming and witty and like has a lot of like put downs about his wife and the whole sort of process and he thinks it's very stupid 
he's really a piece of shit in the novel and is um uh his his complete unwillingness to participate in the matchmaking game um is it's not only cruel to his wife who who you know takes great pleasure in it it is also unnecessarily complicating matters for his daughter and sort of that masculine disinterest in the marriage game which as we've talked about a couple of times um is portrayed in the novel as like pretty harmful whereas i think all of that economic pressure because it's cut in the film these two are just kind of just like just like a, a bickering older couple and 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 pretty they're just we we talk about like coley is like really smart comic relief and i i don't know if this is particularly smart what do you guys think yeah, I like I, you've. I think you've hit on what is an interesting like legacy or debate about this book is like how the Bennett parents are like Mrs. Bennett is on surface I think like a like not a fe- like not a feminist and is like sort of a, a re- and um, not reductive but like um, she's a little ridiculous. She's like she's ridiculous and it's like and it's a really difficult character to like because she's really encouraging her daughters to like settle and be and in many ways like choose to be unhappy. However, there's also this sort of deep pragmatism behind all of her uh, she's it's a it's an interesting marriage of her that character is kind of like ridiculous and has no tact and is like like uh, the uh, it's a it's a good sketch of just like like a frazzled like midwest mom kind of i think in a way is how it's written in the book but there is this like deep pragmatism of just like i need to get these daughters married off i need to get money in the family and mr bennett is like aloof and cool kind of renaissance man that like approves of his daughters being able to read whatever they want and like doesn't care about the marriage system but it also like that 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 vision has no future um I think the Mrs. Bennett surrogate in this is like, uh, I don't know, maybe this is like an element of the comedy not translating. I don't, I don't think the character is like very well done. I think it's kind of a disservice to, to, to what Mrs. Bennett is like in the novel, which is like a deeply awkward woman, but also like often a super funny one as well. Like watching her like flame out in public, trying to get her daughters married or make the family look well to do is, 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 is really funny. And I, I didn't get the same impression or sense of it here. I think uh, when Mrs. Bakshi meets Darcy's mom and she is trying to present her daughters, I don't remember the exact uh, dialogue and all that, but the way she's trying to suddenly, it's subtle, but she tries to change her intonation a little. She tries to sound, she tries to speak with a bit of an accent and she tries portraying them in a way that she thinks is favorable or desirable. And I thought that was also kind of funny. And I liked how in your face and unsubtle she was and you're right, that is pragmatic. So I, I, I think she, she, she was well done. Like there are characters like her in that Netflix, in, in, in Indian matchmaking. And again, it's not, it's, it's not an exaggeration um, because, um, because like you said, um, Mr. Bakshi's or Anupam Kher's vision didn't, didn't really have a future. And that sounds dire and it sounds sad, but that is often true unless you get a job or something, which is often not a choice or not an option. Then that's true. Like it's all well and good that your girls are independent uh, and thinking women and uh, they like reading, but if they don't get married, then that's, that's it. So I, I mean, I, I thought Anupam Kher's character, who's Mr. Uh, Mr. Bakshi 
uh, I, for starters, I thought that the couple, at least I think this is, uh, this is just how I saw it, but I thought the couple, Mr. and Mrs. Bakshi, didn't seem really at odds with each other. I thought this was like a happy Indian marriage. <laughs> like I, because she, she said herself that, oh, <coughs> oh, this is how we fell in love and all that. And uh, so I do, I, I think that there is affection there. He's just like kind of more, he's a little more restrained and he's also surprisingly, I mean, he was very concerned about who Lalita ended up with. Uh, I won't say that that's not what is usually the case here. I mean, fathers care who their daughters end up with, it, but I'm with, but I found it quite heartening when he said um, that your mother will never talk to you if you marry Kohli. But I never will if you do. So I think that is kind of a more sort of activist stance than fathers usually take. And um, so I don't know. I, th- I thought anu- Anupam Kher, by the way, is a very big sort of... Um, he's, a, he's a major actor here. He's been mm-hmm. in like thousands of films and he does play this sort of upstanding father figure. Often he has his own TV show also now. He's also quite political, but so I, I, I guess that background kind of set up Anupam Kher for me already. So that has influenced it. He is often the voice of reason and also the, uh, the, the voice of uphold, like upholding the sort of the sanctity of the family. Like when, when, um, uh, when Jairaj or whatever, Balraj, sorry, asks, um, asks the older sister to go to Goa. He's like, oh no, that's not appropriate and all that. That's one time where he kind of feels like, oh no, this is, you know, like there are some sort of uh, values that we believe in and we believe in firmly and she can't go alone. But of course, if the sister goes, uh, goes with her, then it's fine. So that was kind of like, I think where he sort of came out of his, uh, I'm aloof, I'm, I don't care kind of thing. So again, I thought it was a decently done character, but um, again, I'm not as familiar with the book and Anupam Kher is already kind of li- alive in my imagination. So that influences that. know if there's other characters that I want to talk about because I think mostly my interest in this in this in this movie is the way that it has brought these characters from England into like the sort of larger like a global network of like diaspora India I don't know if I have other th- I mean it concludes like Pride and Prejudice does like Darcy and Darcy and Elizabeth like sort their differences out and get married and like they find true love or whatever um the more stuff um, I was, wanted to ask you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I wanted to ask you guys. So like I, so this movie makes it clear that for us, um, social class and standing is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they do allude to that briefly, like with with Darcy also uh, saying that uh, my mom wants me to marry someone equally wealthy or uh, of of equal stature. So for you guys personally, like how do you personally view marriage, or how how involved are your families? Will are there certain objections that they have to who you end up with? Do you think uh, for you guys also, it is about upholding your social standing? Have you thought about that? And then I would also like to make another point about her ending up with a white guy, which uh, which I can make later, but I wanted to just bookmark that. Um, I don't feel that pressure. I have never felt that pressure. My brother just got married. I don't think was pressured into, I mean, he, he married a, someone from 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 roughly the same social class but she's you know from rural new york and there was no you know problem with that um yeah i i that i don't that is the the social or economic uh health of of a partner has never been a concern for me 
how you frame yeah, it. Yeah, I I would yeah. Um, to lay my cards on the table here, I've I am I would say I grew up kind of upper middle class. Um, I have dated folks that are come from the families with more money than mine, and I've dated folks from come from families with quite a bit less money than mine, and um, you know like. I have never felt a pressure for my parents to like choose one over the other. Um, I think that's, I'm very fortunate in that way. And I, th- I think my parents have had a very like hands-off approach to like who my partners are and who I choose to be with. And I, uh, I don't know, appreciate that a lot about them, but yeah, I mean, it, it varies and it's different by, I think that there is, uh, America is just such a diverse country that there is going to be like some different demographics or like different classes are going to feel differently about, who their kids should and shouldn't be marrying. And then, I mean, religion is uh, just so just like another, like huge, I think influence on potential on, on what families think their kids should or shouldn't be marrying. But no, I'm, I have not felt the pressure for my family to like keep wealth in the family or to try to strive for like more than what we have. I've never felt that kind of pressure. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. And um, another just a little snippet when people when I talk to people here, about, or when I talk to people in general about um, what their parents are cool with, sometimes they'll say yes, my parents are very, very progressive, and I can choose who I want to marry except if they're Muslim, <laughs> that'll always sure. be like, it's a given, like, you know, like, yeah, not, a, not, not a Muslim, maybe not, a, and not a foreigner has to be an Indian. And I think that's why um, the fact that she ends up with Darcy um, and the parents approve of that. I thought, I, I wish they'd kind of spoken about that a little more. I mean, um, it is kind of like real politic also at some level, like if the person is wealthy, fine, you can just marry them. That's cool. Um, but I think, ordinarily there would have been an object many objections to the fact that he was not of the same culture and that he was white because there are many many differences as we've spoken about culturally and i think families would say that they're um irreconcilable also so that would be mm-hmm. like a major thing like my neighbor was going off to college and so i said to his dad oh good he can uh, you know like get to know more people maybe maybe end up marrying an american and he, he did not find that fun he said oh mm-hmm. no not at all no no yeah and then the son looked away sheepishly sheepishly so um yeah that kind of stuff uh, um it does happen and just like another personal note like growing up all these movies felt like quite ridiculous to me just because the concept seemed very abstract and very very removed from me of course i mean i was not nowhere close to getting married but now and i i i admit this with some i mean self-loathing um i i i don't i want to say that none of these things matter to me and that i'm classless and free and i'm like john lennon's wet dream but um but i'm but but when i'm making all these when i'm subconsciously making choices about who i want to date and all that um when you're when you're looking for like intellectual markers or whatever what they have to be funny they need to be um you know like they need to understand your references maybe i'm just i mean i'm being a little ridiculous but they're all subtle markers of of where they come from and like your social your social circles already select for who you're going to date and i have become sort of more aware of that and it has shocked me a little about how i um sort of i mean to put it very crudely rate people in my mind and uh, i don't know if that's um imbued in me by my culture but it is a very 
it is it is it is a big thing i mean not a big i mean it is i guess i'll admit it it is something that i do think about like if i were to end up with this person um you know these things will matter eventually so it's a hard to come to terms with that and i want to sort of introspect and interrogate it and attack it more but but it is there so i mean i'm i am quite impressed hearing that you you guys well, sound like you're quite uncoupled from that i think you make an astute note that like a lot of these things that we want to pretend are not informed by like class or standing like actually are like if i wanted to make my metric just like i want to marry someone who read all the same books as me as a kid like like I can tell myself that's like a nice ideal or it's like it's it's a way to, to know more about their soul than who they are than like where they come from but like it actually is going to limit my pool immensely and it's going to be and it's, it's going to mean that I marry someone pretty similar to myself that is fundamental to like the myth of american romance and i don't know how true i mean it's it is not as there's not it's not as explicit a concern as it is in in this film um, but that's not to say that we're above it or that it doesn't exist in the United States. So, you know, we just don't think about it. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, Raghu, this has been a great conversation. You have been incredibly thoughtful about, you know, Indian marriage customs and the Indian, uh, film industry and all of your various thoughts and opinions about Jane Austen and this film. And the time has come for you to debase yourself and to condense all of those careful thoughts and opinions into uh, a one-word answer and several supporting sentences. Is the 2004 film Bride and Prejudice, is it a adaptation? Is it a bad adaptation? Does it make you feel a little bit sad adaptation? Perhaps steaming mad adaptation? Any variation thereof? Raghu Agarwal, what do you think? Yeah, I would say perhaps sad adaptation. Sad adaptation. I would say that. Uh, yeah. Before doing this, I thought that I would inject or too much um, venom into this thing about Indian marriages um, because I I kind of despise what they stand for. Um, there's there's like dowry, which we didn't really discuss, but like people um, giving the groom like um, three crores worth of dowry, which is four hundred thousand dollars of dowry. And just the, just just the whole performative aspect of weddings crushes me, and it really upsets me. But also, it is it is one of those times where I think that Indian society again, this is such a generalization, but they really, I mean, they truly enjoy themselves. People look forward to weddings, not perhaps not the bride or perhaps not the bridegroom, but everyone else involved with the wedding has a bloody good time, and it it is often like a riot. So I like that part of, of our sort of, of our Indian culture, just the fact that you, it is your license to break free. You drink like, you drink like a madman, you mingle, you, you, you have fun. People go all, all out because I think in lots of other avenues of life, you don't. Otherwise you live other, quite a, quite a restrained life. Otherwise, and this is like a socially sanctioned way of having some fun and putting out a pot, not a potluck, but a feast. So I think I I like that part of of of, of the culture and also also the movie. I this is the first time as an adult that I watched the movie and um, it has its shortcomings, but it also made me think a lot about like the institution of marriage here and our culture our, and our culture sort of writ large. So 
I appreciate the movie for what for for what what it is, and I think um, I I like that I couldn't place it exactly as a Bollywood or a Hollywood film. I thought it did some complex things quite well, actually. So and uh, yeah, I'm a fan of Gurinder Chadda. I would say. Yeah. Frank Meyer, um, I think that this film is perhaps. As an interpretation of Austin, I think it misses some things from the novel. I think it does not quite bring the same depth to it, but I still think it iterates enough of the key relationships and ideas that are presented in the book that it is able to start asking a few new ones about how diaspora functions into this, like what does wealth and class look like in a 21st century setting, and what are the conventions that get carried over from Jane Austen's time, even when the sort of shape and performance of wealth has changed so much. So... This is maybe not the, uh, I don't know, it may not It may not be the ultimately like the best take on this source material I've seen, but I think it is certainly like an above grade rom-com interpretation of Pride and Prejudice, which is still certainly enough to get a glad adaptation in my book. How about you, Caleb? I think the thing that I keep coming back to is, is, is the quote. Where, where Chada admitted that she she was not particularly attracted to the text and just use it as a way to make a Bollywood-like film about Indian weddings. And and so I think it just it is this like fundamental disinterest in the source text that I I think there this movie is, is intermittently really, really, really charming and really, really, really smart. And there was just not the not the interest in taking the next step in exploring certain things about what it is to be a 21st century American Darcy or what it is about uh, marriage that is so um, so consuming to to these parents um, that just it makes me a little sad because while I don't necessarily dislike this film i do i can't help but but think that it could have been more and so for that reason i think it's just it's just a sad adaptation ragu agarwal thank you so much for being on this episode it's been great talking with you is there anything that you want to promote or shout out or plug at this time at the end of the episode I, I I didn't know that I could plug something. So that's upsetting. This, Like you said, this is my 10 seconds of fame. Damn, like I really can't think. Uh, I would, okay. I mean, not that the IPL needs any plugging, but the Indian Premier League, if you want to get into cricket, watch the Indian Premier League. It is quite fun. Uh, I tried getting Caleb to uh, watch some cricket with me when I was in college. I don't think that really worked out. But it made for some fun sort of baseball versus cricket you know banter mm-hmm. um so baseball's debased as far as i'm concerned but um <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah no that's it cricket i shout my shout out is to cricket i will uplift the already uplifted so <laughs> yeah yeah and also <laughs> thanks thanks a lot for having me oh of course this I, is enjoyed, our pleasure. I enjoyed this i enjoyed this and uh yeah I mean, it took forever to schedule but i think it was worth it for sure no it was great having you on yeah, thank you for doing this. And thank you to Slow Your Roll for our theme song. Thank you to Zach Sisk for our artwork. Uh, thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. And uh, I don't know, no life, no wife. Get on it if you're single out there. Uh, Caleb uh, will maybe put his, uh, I don't know, Caleb's looking, right? Don't worry about that. 
If you want to date the hottest young podcaster in New York, uh, look elsewhere. Not on this show. <laughs>